0: Hello, Tim Williams here. I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Thanks for choosing to listen to one of our archived episodes from our early days of launching the show. Although I love the overall content of these episodes, I will say the recording quality was not always the best as the show was still evolving and I was learning to record and edit pretty much on the fly. I believe the sound quality and editing has improved from season to season, so be sure to check out more great episodes and our more recent seasons. I hope you enjoy this episode and that it rekindles all those warm and fuzzy nostalgic feels. Once again, thank you so much for listening. movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams and I'm your host for the 80s flick flashback podcast where we talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we've discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter what film we choose from week to week, we'll have a lot of fun sharing memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind the scenes facts about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Hey everybody, I'm here with my good friend Jeff Tinkle. He's my co-host for today's episode. Say hello, Jeff. Hey, what up? <laughs> it's good to have him on uh for those of you that knew us back when we were just Movie Views Podcast when it was uh myself and Ron West and some other people uh talking about current movies. Jeff had been on a couple of our Marvel podcast, uh, to talk about Marvel movies, which is one of our favorites. And of course, Jeff is a big fan of eighties movies as well. So glad to have him on with us today. So we're just going to jump right in. So kind of how this started was, uh, we have a Facebook group called the movie views, news and reviews, Facebook group. And I guess it was, uh, a couple of months ago. I probably was like in February, I think beginning of February, um, I just decided I'd been thinking about all these eighties movies that I remember seeing as a kid that I didn't know if other people had really heard of, or if they saw them like I did on cable or something like that. And so I posted a few uh, names on our Facebook group and it just blew up. Like people were just talking about all these different eighties movies that they remembered. And then people was like, Oh, I remember that movie. And Oh man, that movie was awesome. You haven't seen that. Yeah. And so we realized that eighties movies are pretty, uh, pretty cool and really dig into our nostalgia of like our childhood, especially people of our age. We won't talk about how old we are on this podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're, we're just not as young as we used to be. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But um, so then that got me thinking about doing this March Madness, ultimate uh, March Madness bracket of 80s movies. And so I took a uh, a list of the top, I think I did top 32 uh, 80s movies and by their rank and seated them that way and we kind of worked it through the couple the couple of weeks of March for the uh to see which would be the top 80s movie mm-hmm. and ranked at number 1 was Raiders of the Lost Ark and number 2 was Back to the Future. And wouldn't you know it, when we got down to the final two movies it came down to Raiders of the Lost <laughs> Ark and Back to the Future. So and if you're part of that group, you know that the winner was Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is why we're going to kicking off this new podcast, the '80s Flick Flashback Podcast, with Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, Jeff, tell us yeah. about yeah. No, you were one of the reasons why I picked Jeff for this this episode <laughs> is when we posted the winner, I got about four or five different emojis and celebrations uh, that. Raiders of Lost Ark 1. so I'm gonna go on a limb and say that Raiders is probably one of your favorite movies, Jeff. Am I right about that?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely one of my favorite. <laughs> that one and the even the next one, the Temple of Doom, was one that was pretty cool for me as well.
0: Oh yeah. So what's what do you like? All right, so let's talk about memory. So when did you see Raiders of Lost Ark as a kid? Where did you or did you see it as a kid? You saw it later in life in the theater on VHS.
1: No, we saw it as a kid. I was probably a. I had to be a young teenager because I remember going to theater with my mom and dad. That's when they would take us and kind of break me and my brother in on different movies out <laughs> of the theaters. Um, right. it wasn't a movie that my mom would really like, but, uh, it was just still something that we did usually as a family. So whether it was a PG movie or a rated R, as long as we were with mom and dad, we could get to go see anything <laughs> just about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I remember, yeah. I remember seeing in the theater as well. Um, I don't remember it in the theater quite as much as I remember Temple of Doom. So I must've been pretty young when I saw Raiders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember seeing it on cable, of course, uh, years later, but I remember being on a car ride or something with my parents and we were talking about the movie and I remember saying, Oh, I really like that movie. I Indiana Jones, he's so cool. And my dad's you know, with, with his crazy sense of humor, he said, that movie is so unrealistic. All that time he was running around the desert. When did he have time to go to the bathroom? And I'm like, <laughs> what, what does that have to do with anything? It's a great movie. So we're going to spend some time talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark. And may, we won't figure out why he didn't go to the bathroom in the movie. But, right. Dad, 20 years plus years later, I still remember you making that joke. So... But let's So let's talk about it. Released in June 12th, 1981, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, and Harrison Ford introduced a new kind of hero in professor, archaeologist, and fedora-wearing adventurer Indiana Jones. They also launched one of the greatest and most beloved franchises in movie history. True?
1: I'll say true, because that was already after the big hype of Star Wars coming out and Han Solo yep. being played. And so he kind of already had that... Um, I don't know, kind of one of those heartthrob type of followings and everything. And then as well as an action hero following a hero, something for us young guys to look up to saying, yeah, that's the kind of guy I want to be like, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, and of course it was directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, I went back to see, this was actually the fifth feature film that Spielberg had directed at this time. He had already done Jaws. um, He had already done Close Encounters of the Third Kind but this was not, I mean, he was still kind of young in his in his career. So uh, what do you think? This is one of Steven Spielberg's best movies?
1: One of them. I was a big, like E.T. I know was like a big following among a lot of people from him. Oh, yeah. But I actually oh, yeah. preferred Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I thought that was even better than E.T. Oh,
0: yeah. Um,
1: I liked that because that is, as far as getting into sci-fi, that was kind of one of my first big sci-fi movies to really start getting into. Um And aliens and everything like that. So that <laughs> that's probably one of my great movies from him, especially growing up young.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, confession. I've never actually seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but uh,
1: Richard Richard <laughs> Dreyfus. I mean, one of the. That's when I I grew. He was a phenomenal actor. In that thing.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. So now that we have this podcast, I'll be seeing Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Well, that that one came out in the seventies. I'm not sure if that made it in the eighties or not.
1: Yeah, it may not have. It was yeah, early.
0: So but I remember seeing the commercials for it when it came on cable, but I I never saw it. So mm-hmm. um but the writing credits, it's uh Lawrence Kasdan is the screenwriter for it, and you'll recognize that name because he also wrote the script for Empire Strikes Back, which everyone pretty much agrees is the greatest Star Wars movie of the original trilogy. Most people right. say that Rogue One is the best of all the movies. And we won't get in that conversation. That's that's for a different podcast that we'll do somewhere down the the line. But uh, this was Lawrence Kasdan's first script for George Lucas. He was actually recommended for the job by Steven Spielberg. Upon their first meeting, he warned Kasdan that Lucas would try to hire him for the sequel to American Graffiti and told him not to take it. The story at that point was little more than a description of the character, the fedora, the jacket, the whip and the MacGuffin of going after the Ark of the Covenant. The rest of the details were developed during a long weekend spent together by Spielberg, Lucas, and Kasdan. Upon receiving the first draft, but even before reading it, Lucas asked him to write The Empire Strikes Back as well. He continued to be a very prolific screenwriter in the 80s and 90s with writing credits for movies like The Big Chill, Silverado, both which he also directed, and he also wrote The Bodyguard with Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner in the in the 90s. Oh wow! So, any thoughts about Lawrence Kasdan as a screenwriter?
1: Um, definitely. I would say, in that time, it's a, it just it was one of the cooler movies, stuff like that. Um, probably compared to some of the movies that you will have nowadays, stuff like that. The screenwriting is just some of you know even greater than that, over the top, better than that. Um, I never realized how simple of a movie I think Raiders of a Lost War was <laughs> when it comes to screenwriting, special right. effects, all of oh, those yeah. other things we'll get into, you know? Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So George Lucas and Philip Kaufman actually came up with the story. So in 1973, George Lucas wrote, an adventure. Adventures of Indiana Smith was the original title. Like Star Wars, which he also wrote, it was an opportunity to create a modern version of the film serials of the 30s and 40s. Lucas discussed the concept with Philip Kaufman, who worked with him for several weeks, and he actually came up with the Ark of the Covenant as a plot device. Kaufman was told about the Ark of of the Covenant by his dentist when he was a child. So that's interesting that your dentist tells you about the Ark of the Covenant. But the the project stalled when Clint Eastwood hired Kaufman to direct the outlaw Josie Wales. Lucas ended up shelving the idea, decided to concentrate on his outer space adventure that would become Star Wars. In late May of 1977, Lucas was in Hawaii trying to escape the enormous success of Star Wars. Friend and colleague Steven Spielberg was also there on vacation from work on Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So I guess it was an 80s movie as well. While building a sandcastle at the hotel, Spielberg expressed an interest in directing a James Bond film. Lucas convinced Spielberg that he had conceived a character better than James Bond and explained the concept of Raiders of the Lost Ark to Spielberg. Spielberg loved it, calling it a James Bond film without all the hardware, although he told Lucas that the surname Smith was not right for the character. Lucas said, okay, what about Jones? Indiana was the name of Lucas's dog, whose habit of riding in the passenger seat as Lucas drove was also the inspiration for Chewbacca from Star Wars. Spielberg, I'm sorry, Spielberg was at first reluctant to sign on as Lucas had told him he would want to hire Spielberg for an entire trilogy. Spielberg didn't want to work on two more scripts, but Lucas told him that he already had the next two movies written. So Spielberg agreed when the time came for the first sequel, it was revealed that Lucas had nothing written for either sequel. Oh, wow. (laughs) So that's pretty, pretty interesting story that, uh, how that came about. I had heard that, you know, of course they, in, uh, Indiana Jones and last crusade, the line is, Indiana, we named the dog Indiana, you know, that Indiana's uh, dad tells him, which was actually a callback to how the character got the name. I thought that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's talk about the cast a little bit. So, of course, Harrison Ford is the star of this movie, and he was (laughs) the star of all the sequels as well as Indiana Jones. So, what do you think about Harrison Ford? Could you see anybody else playing him?
1: It, playing Indiana Jones, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, just because you, like, if you looked uh, of the guys at that time, the Clint Eastwood with Outlaw, Josie Wells, which was a, a good movie as well. Mm-hmm. Um, his kind of personality wouldn't fit it because he was too kind of stern or hard, not a lot of facial expression stuff like that. Um, was another tough guy from the eighties, early eighties. Um, well, let me give you me a from, couple.
0: Of... Yeah, let me give you let me give you a couple of names of people who actually auditioned. So there was Tim Matheson, who was uh, he was in uh, Animal House. Yeah, Peter Coyote, who was in ET. If okay. You remember who he was, but the but but who was thought was going to take the role was Tom Selleck. I
1: think if Tom Selleck <laughs> would have been, it would have been more of like that comedy action yeah. type of thing, yeah. not not like a dramatic movie, action movie like how Harrison did it. Again, it's the style of movies when you look between Blade Runner. I mean,
0: mm-hmm.
1: just all the different Harrison Ford movies I've seen over the years, you know, he's had a certain style to it, a personality to it. And any right. of the other actors you just named, Tom all of them, they're just that's just not their fit. I don't see if right. they could have fit with it.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think I think Tom Selleck would have added a lot more comedy to it. I mean, I think Indiana Jones is funny. I think Harrison Ford is I mean, he has some funny moments in the movie, but yeah. it's not the same he's not playing for laughs like I think Tom Selleck does. I mean, I wasn't a huge Magnum PI watcher as a kid. <laughs> I've seen some episodes you know, as I've gotten older. Um yeah. but it but he kind of he's playing it up for laughs. I mean it's really more of like a comedy kind of a show. So yeah. but um but yeah, I think Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones. And even now, they're talking about, and we'll get to this a little bit later. Um, you know, they're working on Indiana Jones number five. They're supposed to come out next year, and we'll see all that all that pans out with everything on hiatus, with the coronavirus and stuff. But, uh-huh. um, but to think of them handing that role off to someone else, or, or trying to reboot it, quote unquote, with a different character with a different actor, I'm not sure how that's going to work. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, because they technically kind of brought Shia LaBeouf in there in that, in the one Temple, um, Indiana Jones movie, and it just, I don't think it worked at all. I It no. was like, I didn't enjoy it, I didn't like it, any of, any of that. It was just very, it was just lame for me at that point.
0: Yeah, it had a lot of problems with it. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. a lot of problems. So, all right, well, let's talk about Karen Allen, who played Marion Ravenwood. So, Spielberg was actually interested in her as he had seen her performance in National Lampoon's Animal House. Other The other actresses who were thought about for the role was Jane Seymour, Barbara Hershey, Mary Steenburgen, Dee Wallace, who was in E.T., Valerie Bertinelli, Patty D'Arban- D'Arbanville, who was in Vacation, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Deborah Winger.
1: Any of those yeah, Deb, possibly Deborah Winger could have even yeah. done it, even Dee Wallace because she did Cujo, so you know that she can oh, yeah. oh, do yeah. some of the action moves, um, like an action type, although it was a horror film. Um so looking at all those, I don't know that maybe between Deborah Winger, because I know seeing her in um Urban Cowboy and stuff like that. Um and I think she was also in an officer and a gentleman, if yeah, I remember she was. right.
0: Yeah, yeah you're
1: um, right um so for that type of character a tough a tough woman, I would say, you know, they could probably play those parts and and get away with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sean Young was actually used as Marion in the screen test with Tom Selleck. And then Tim Matheson, who we mentioned, uh, he did the test with Karen Allen screen test. Young would later star opposite Ford in Blade Runner. Mm. Wallace would go on to co-star in Spielberg's ET with Peter Coyote. Mm-hmm. Who also Who also read for the role of Indy we mentioned before. So, but you know, of course, of all these actors and actresses, Harrison Ford has kind of had the longest career. Karen Allen had a few more roles in the '80s. She starred in Starman with Jeff Bridges, if you remember that one. Yeah, I do. She She was in Scrooged with Bill Murray, one of my favorite Christmas movies. She also had a small role in The Sandlot in the '90s, and she also returned to the role. In Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which we both mentioned as one of the worst or the worst Indiana <laughs> Jones movie that's been made. Yeah. So I'm going to skip the other cast members. We'll, we'll talk about John Rhys Davies. I know you mentioned that before we were recording who played mm. Sala? and he has such a distinctive voice. Anyway, he's done a lot of voice acting work, but um, Steven Spielberg originally wanted Danny DeVito to play Sala, but DeVito who was set for the role, but he had to drop out due to conflicts with his TV role on Taxi. De- DeVito later appeared as a second banana to Michael Douglas in the Raiders' tribute and derivative Romancing the Stone in 1984, which I can kind of see that. They they tried to give a little bit of Indiana Jones kind of flair to Romancing the Stone. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, John Ravy John Rhys Davies' most <laughs> famous live action role outside of the Indiana Jones trilogy was the Lord of the Rings trilogy where he played Gimli. Okay. Which is, yeah. in a, in a, he, the voice is there. If you listen for the voice, you know, it's him because with all that makeup mm-hmm. and stuff they did for him and Lord of the yeah. Rings, you couldn't, you couldn't figure him out by face, but that voice is totally, you know, he oh, has yeah, so, got it's a so... big
1: bellowy voice. I mean, oh yeah. It, yeah, yeah, it yeah. overpowers a lot of anything else around him.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we talked about the cast, we talked about the crew uh, a little bit. So, uh I think this was well cast. Was there any any anybody in the movie that you felt like didn't fit or maybe the casting could have been better?
1: From the primary actors that actually had like the major speaking parts. Yeah. I think it I think it all fared pretty well. I mean, any other actor, they there were some goofy characters in there like when they were in nepal in the bar and stuff like that those guys were kind of weird like did the nazis really go get these little crazy looking people from the village to come try (laughs) and attack them It that just doesn't really make it it didn't make sense they just look kind of out of place that'd be more for the goonies or for some other comedy show but not for if you're going to be serious you'd get the big burly tough looking guys um not like the Three Stooges. That's kind of how I, I looked at <laughs> some of the characters. Yeah. Um, and then outside of that, I mean, you had when they were in the small Egyptian town and all the different, I don't know what they were called. Those warriors with the big, long knives and everything, the big, long sword and stuff oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. those That was pretty good. I mean, it was neat. I don't know how realistic it was at the time because I actually had forgot when I saw the very beginning of the movie and that it started in 1936 or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember that from the original <laughs> watching. I'm like, wow, that's when it happened. Right. And then I start thinking everything from my history. See, that's when I start going into logic mode. I'm like, <laughs> what did I learn in history? 19 19- Did they have this available in 1936? Right. You know. So then it's almost like I started picking the movie apart. Yeah. Now watching it now in the. 2020 you know i'm like okay so i don't know if that was really there in the 1930s and i don't mm-hmm. know if that was actually okay when we we're going through the great depression how did they have all these abilities to go all over and what was the government really doing back then then you know i start my mind starts <laughs> racing in multiple directions
0: right right all right so we both recently watched it you know since we saw it as a kid or, or younger when i right, so before you watched it for the podcast when was the last time you watched raider's do you remember? Oh,
1: it's probably over 10 years. Okay. So it had been yeah. many, many years, probably over a decade for sure.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, I had re- I had watched it again recently, like within the past year, but okay. I wasn't watching it for something like this. I just, it was on, and, you know, every once in a while, it would come up on one of the basic cable channels with the commercials and stuff. And I actually, I have the DVDs. I, I don't have the Blu-rays of it, but I, when, mm-hmm. the, when they made the DVD set, I think... Um, the remastered set or whatever several years ago. I have that one, but uh, we both found out this it's on Netflix now. So that's how we watched it. But um, yeah. So now, so now watching it after, you know, 10 plus years. So what, what stood out to you this time? Depending
1: on which way you want to go. Like I think I saw a fly (laughs) on the screen in one of the scenes. I think they were in Nepal. I think I saw that. Um, I enjoyed the part. And it's kind of cheesy because it reminded me of the old Wonder Woman series that I'm doing, where they're taking the plane and they're showing the line, drawing it across the map. So that kind of part was neat. When they started getting into the actual, where they're in the pyramid or they're in the, in the ground in Egypt and they're digging stuff like that. Now that's when I started getting really fascinated because I know a lot of that is based on fact and truth as far as some of the hieroglyphics, stuff like that. But then when it starts relating to the Bible, and a lot of things that I've learned over my 50 years of life regarding <laughs> that, then I'm like, wow, could that really be true? You know, is that right. really, could things like that really happen now? You know, has it ever been found um, or is anybody even still looking for it today? If it yeah. hasn't been found, right? you know, and then all the, all the stories that go along with that. Um, I thought it was neat. It did, and I'm thinking totally at the ending now, where the ending is like just the big kicker for me, is um, the things coming out of the Ark yeah. and how they appeared as angels first. But then knowing what you know, pretty much anyone that touched the Ark, if if you weren't supposed to be the one to touch it, it turns <laughs> to death and how they then turned to death and then it obliterated pretty much everything and stuff like that. And then trying to understand the theories of why just because they closed their eyes did they not get touched? Is that because they never touched the ark? They didn't set their eyes on the thing that Mm -hmm. was unholy? Something like that's what therefore they were spared because they just hadn't witnessed anything, so there was nothing to judge them for,
0: right? Right. You know
1: what I mean? So I mean, it's like like I said, so I could have like ten different conversations off everything about the movie, (laughs) Um, but like when the Nazis when they were getting technically killed at the end you know that was like some of the cheesy stuff some of the cheesy stuff in the cave at the very beginning when he first went to get the golden monkey um and stuff like that it's like you could just tell those weren't even real people those were dummies and
0: oh
1: yeah you know just so so fake stuff now but again my mind is comparing it to everything i see nowadays with all the cgi and graphics and green screen and everything else
0: yeah i think when i rewatched it several years ago, like after not seeing it for like, you know, 10, 10 plus years, I was amazed at how like the um, the stunts were like real people, like how back then it wasn't all CGI and it wasn't all the cartoony kind of stuff that we see now, yeah. um, like when he's on the truck and being drugged by the truck and if there's even a scene, that I and it, I laughed at it again this time watching it, where there's the one guy that he throws out the front windshield and the Uh guy falls and you see you know it makes it look like the car ran over him and you see his arms and his legs fly up but it's very (laughs) evident that he's not directly under the wheels like you can tell you know the truck is like a foot or, you know right right, it's like they shoot it smartly to give you the illusion but it's not they're not being it's not being graphic which i thought was really cool but uh but yeah but still once yeah once you get to that, that the big finale scene which as a kid was like one of the coolest things you'd ever seen on on film, you know, the the smoke and the, you know, and, and here's one, another scene that I thought about watching this time was like you said, when the, I guess we saw the angels or the spirits coming out of the ark, and it Uh looks like a, you know, like an angel and the face changes to like this creepy looking thing. You know, that was 81. They did the same effect in what 84 with Ghostbusters in the Mm -hmm. library scene. So once again, it's like even, but how much better the quality of the special effect was by the time they got to Ghostbusters in that couple of years span. So oh, it yeah. was still cool. I mean, thinking about it at eighty-one, how cool that effect was, but it it got better as the uh, as the time went on. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's several like iconic scenes in the movie um that I remember. You know, of course the opening se- the whole opening sequence is probably one of the best opening sequences of a, of an action movie. You know, yeah. him uh you know getting into the ca- the little cave area and looking at the the gold uh statue and rubbing his chin to think about how he's going to do it and switching it out yeah. with the with the bag of dirt. I mean, that's just, that was just great storytelling even back then. I mean, it's been, and it's been copied so many times now, um, yeah. that it, yeah, for those of us who have lived long enough to see that duplicated over and over again, it, you know, we, we can call back to when we first saw it and that, that, and then of course the rolling boulder chasing them down. Uh, I mean, those are just iconic scenes that, that, I mean, that's why it's one of the greatest, greatest movies, greatest action adventure movies probably ever made. So, mm-hmm. um and then there's, I mean, but I remember also, like, as a kid, like, I remember seeing in the theaters. And then I remember going to a friend's house back when VCRs were pretty popular. And, like, owning movies was still kind of new. Like, you could rent yeah. them, but to have people that actually own the movies, it was like, ooh, this, this you know, this, these, these, are the cool kids, they've got movies at their house that you can watch. <laughs> and I remember, <laughs> I remember having, like, the old VHS copy of Raiders of Lost Ark. I was like, oh, we're going to watch this. It's going to be so good. And we got that first opening scene, and then we just got so bored like after that because there's so much story that's being set up about the yeah. Ark of the Covenant from that point that it takes a long time before the action picks up. And as a young kid, you're just not gonna, I mean, in the theater, it's different when you're watching right. it at home. You know, it's, and even when I was watching this time, I had to force myself not to pick up my phone, not to zone out in some of those slower moments because, like, oh, I've seen this before, I know what's gonna happen, but to really kind of watch it. As it unfolds. So, but, uh, but it's a great movie. I mean, it's really, it's really, and it holds up. I think that's one of the we're going to talk about in the podcast about 80s movies, like which movies hold up mm-hmm. from our childhood memory. And once yeah. again, th- that's why this one, I mean, let's be honest, why it's number one on the list and why it won our bracket is it holds up. It's still a great action adventure movie, even still today, whether that's oh, because I of agree. the storytelling. Whether that's because of the great script by Kasdan, whether it's from the great directing by Spielberg, the great acting by Harrison Ford, it, it really just, it, it stands up. So, But a few things you mentioned, Um I found some, some behind the scenes kind of stuff. You mentioned about the fly on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see. I've got to hear my notes. Give me one second.
1: Yeah, because I watched if it was just me, if I was maybe, maybe I saw something and it wasn't really there.
0: Nope, it's there, and it's funny because the last time I watched it, I remember going back and looking it up because I was like, "Did I really just? Did I really just see that? And how come I didn't see it that way before?"
1: Well, and I thought a bug had crawled on one of them in one of the scenes, and they acted like it wasn't even on them. Right? Um, They like had to totally ignore it. I'm like, "Wow!" I said, "That's good acting right there," because they had to pretend like it wasn't even there.
0: <laughs> so all right here's so here's the story. But during the scene where Indiana threatened the Nazis, you can clearly see a fly creeping into the mouth of Paul Freeman, who played Belloc, contrary to popular belief, he did not swallow the fly. Freeman explained in an interview years later that the fly flew off at about the instant he uttered the word "bad," but Steven Spielberg noticed it and decided it would be funny to cut out a few frames. So the fly would not be seen flying away. This made it look as though Freeman ate the fly, and he found the edit highly amusing. Empire Magazine shows this scene as one of the most common scenes for which people press the pause button on their VCRs when they bought it on video.
1: Wow! Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly the scene. Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah, when Thought you said the fly, yeah, yeah, when you saw the fly, I was like, yeah, because I watched it again today, and it's so like you see it crawl in his mouth and it looks like it crawls into his mouth, but, mm-hmm. it, but he, and, and amazing how they can cut that scene. And it's so it's, you know, they didn't you cut away tell. to somebody else. Yeah. You couldn't tell. They just cut a couple lines of dialogue. Cause he was saying, staying so still, I thought that was pretty cool. And then another thing about the, uh, we talked about the, the, the old school stunts, mm-hmm. uh, Indiana being dragged under and then out behind a moving truck is a tribute to Yakima Cunnett's famous stunt in John Ford's Stagecoach from 1939. In fact, it was a stunt that stuntman Terry Leonard had failed to pull off the year before in The Legend of the Lone Ranger. He was thrilled at the chance of having another shot at it, but only agreed to do it if his friend and colleague, Glenn Randall Jr., was driving. The truck was specially constructed to be farther off the ground than normal to allow clearance for Indiana Jones to pass underneath safely And the center of the road was also dug out in great movie stunts of Raiders of the lost Ark. We see on the camera slate that the camera was set at 20 frames per second instead of the traditional 24. In other words, the shots were done in fast motion. So the truck was not really moving as fast as depicted on screen. Harrison Ford Uh. was actually dragged behind the truck for some of the shots badly bruising his ribs. When asked if he was worried Ford quipped, no, no, If it was really dangerous, they would have filmed more of the movie first. During the chase, Harrison Ford dispatches all three of his stunt doubles, all of whom are playing German soldiers. Terry Leonard plays the driver of the truck who gets punched out of the cab by Ford. Vic Armstrong and Martin Grace play soldiers hanging onto the side of the truck before being knocked off.
1: Okay, wow.
0: Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool.
1: That is very cool. Yeah. Because you couldn't even tell any of that based on how the scene was shot that the road dug out, that there was a divot anywhere Mm -hmm. or any of that.
0: But once again, that's like, that's that old school movie making too. Like today in today's time that it would, he wouldn't even been on a truck. It would have been a CGI truck. It would have been all green screen behind him. You know, that, Mm -hmm. but once again, that's a very, but that's a very dangerous stunt. I mean, that's what, you know, the, the CGI stuff now is really trying to protect people's, the stuntmen's lives for doing stuff that was very dangerous. So. right. Um, I know you mentioned, too, about some of the Bible stuff, <coughs> excuse me, about why closing their eyes. So according to the novelization, the writing on the headpiece of the staff of Ra included a specific warning not to look into the ark. This is why Indiana and Marion survived the, the thing at the end simply by closing their eyes. It may be an allusion to 1 Samuel six nineteen, where God smote the men of Beth Shemesh for looking into the Ark. So cool. good call Very there, man. Cool. Good call there. Yeah. So any other big scenes that you that you remember sticking out to you?
1: Um, I like the fight scene with him and the thing when she got stuck in the airplane. I'm like, oh if everything yeah. that could go wrong. How does she get stuck in the plane <laughs> and they can't get and he's having to fight all these guys. And then of course the big bruiser comes up. Mm-hmm. and I mean of course it's a death scene for the bad guy but right. I still thought it was epic that he didn't see the plane propeller and then you know, he <laughs> gets cut up and I was like yeah. yeah I mean I found myself laughing in certain parts like as if I had first saw the movie um, mm-hmm. being excited at other parts I'm like yeah alright go indie you know like is it, and like really as if it was the first time I watched the movie I got just as excited now as I did oh, 20 yeah. 30 years ago
0: yeah, that's another, you know, that scene specifically, that's another one of those scenes that was really, um, has a, has been one of those scenes that you remember in your mind, like from a kid, like that blood splattering against the side of the plane. Like, I remember mm. the impact as a kid, like, oh my gosh, to see blood in a PG movie, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. other kids' movies at that time, you didn't see that. And so, uh, that, that shot has always, every time that shot pops up, it's like, I remember <laughs> it very vividly from seeing it as a kid, so... You know, there's a couple of, there's a few like famous, um, I guess, behind the scenes stories, and I wanted to share them just in case people haven't heard them uh, uh-huh. before. But uh, one of the most iconic scenes, I guess, in the movie is the uh, scene where Indiana shoots the swordsman, where the mm-hmm. sword guy comes with swinging the swing of the sword, and he just shoots him instead which I thought was like one of the coolest things because hey I came to see an action movie I'm ready to see like somebody really fight and from just blood his gun and shoot it's like that was just so smart. So uh, the fight scenes in the town, Ford was actually suffering from dysentery like most of the, most of the cast and crew got sick when they were filming. The only oh, wow. person who didn't get sick was Steven Spielberg, which they say think because he didn't eat any the any of the food while he was out. He only ate what he brought from home, which rumor has it was Kansas SpaghettiOs. So he lived on SpaghettiOs while they were filming <laughs> of the Lost Ark.
1: How neat is that?
0: Yeah. So stuntman Terry Richards had practiced for weeks with his sword to create the scripted fight scene, choreographing a fight between the swordsman and Jones's whip. However, after filming the initial shots of the scene after lunch due to Ford's dysentery, Ford and Spielberg agreed to cut the scene down to just a gunshot with Ford saying to Spielberg, let's just shoot the sucker. <laughs> <laughs> so I always thought that was cool. When I, when I found that out, you know, a couple of years ago, that that wasn't not in the original script, like that was just kind of uh, put together on the fly. I thought that was really cool. So the other thing that, um, that I thought was really interesting that I just, I learned this, when I watched it probably like uh, a couple of years ago. Um, So the filming at the well of the souls where all the snakes are on the ground, the Mm -hmm. producers scoured every pet shop in London and the South of England for every snake they could lay their hands on. There are snakes that are, that are identifiable for many different geographic geographical areas. However, once all the snakes were on set, it became clear they were not nearly enough of them. So Steven Spielberg had several hoses cut into links and these were used as well. If you look closely, you can tell which are the real snakes and which are not. So, uh, so for the scene where Indiana Jones falls right in front of the cobra and the cobra stands up, there was yeah. actually a sheet of glass separating Harrison Ford and the arched cobra when he falls in. The snake actually did spray venom onto the glass during the scene. In the original print of the film and the VHS release, you can see a slight reflection on the glass during the scene, then India's face to face. But it's been digitally removed from the remastered and digital in digital releases. So I was looking for it when I was watching it this time, but they've they've taken that part out. But if you if you can find an old VHS copy like the original before it was remastered, yeah. they say that you can actually see Indiana Jones's reflection in the scene when he's looking uh, at the snake. So very fascinating. I thought that was cool. So. All right. We talked a lot about it. Anything else you want to add about favorite memories or favorite scenes? Um, No, I mean,
1: there actually was a lot that I didn't remember how the story kind of flowed with them being on the ship with the um, ship captain and that he had tried to keep her out of trouble and this and that. Like oh, yeah. Some of those parts, they have that deja vu effect where I think I remember, but I don't really know. And then I'm like, <laughs> how are they going to get from there to where I know the scene has to get to for the next couple scenes? Right. So I couldn't always put them together until they unfolded. And I'm like, ah, okay, that's how they did that. And that's how it got to here. Um, because like I remember the pivotal scenes like with them being in the desert fighting, and then I remember the end scene with all of that but there were some of the parts in between i'm like how are they getting from a to b and then mm. b to c mm-hmm. but once i see the connections in the movie then i'm like okay now i kind of remember it vaguely right um, but i think i'm kind of glad that i didn't see it for so long to see it for this podcast because it did make it that much more exciting i think to watch it again
0: oh yeah and that's going to be the fun part of of this kind of this podcast is going back and like, there's a couple of movies I've been wanting to rewatch in the last like month or so since I started kind of forming the idea of the podcast, and mm-hmm. I've been kind of shelving them. Like, no, I'm gonna wait because I don't want to watch it now, and then it be one of the ones I'm gonna watch in another you know month or two. I don't want. Yeah. I wanted. I want to kind of watch it with really fresh eyes. So,
1: well, said when so I looked for this movie on Netflix, I did get excited about all the other 80s movies oh, yeah, that yeah. I saw available, and I'm like oh wow, I want to watch that. Oh, I want to watch that. So I have like <laughs> five to probably five to ten movies that I'm like geeked about going back and looking at again.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think when I watched this one the last time like like about a year ago I started with Raiders of the Lost Ark on Netflix and then I, then I went ahead and watched Temple of Doom and I think mm-hmm. I got through like the first probably five or maybe 15, 20 minutes of Last Crusade and I just ran out of time and never got back to it. So Gotcha. Um, watching it today watching it yesterday i was like man i should just go ahead and watch the rest of the trilogy um just so i can get it all out of my system but i don't know we'll see what happens yeah so uh so, so real quick we'll talk about a few last minute notes about the box office so well i'm just gonna ask you the question i'm sure you know already but how do you think raiders did at the box office
1: Um, I think, if I remember, I thought it did fairly well. I thought it was in the theaters for several weeks. Oh, yeah. um, That it became, like, I think, bigger than what they expected, almost like how Star Wars was back in the 70s. Um, You know, they get all the critique up front and everything. But then when they get that fan favorite, then you start going and seeing it multiple times. Oh, yeah. So it had a lot of reoccurring people going back and seeing it again over and over again.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it opened at number one and it grossed over $8 million from about a 1,000 theaters during its opening weekend. And it ended up making eight, it ended up, I'm oh, sorry, made on an $18 million budget, ended up grossing $384 million worldwide throughout its theatrical release. In North America, it was by some distance the highest grossing film of 1991, I mean, 1981. <laughs> so yeah, it did pretty good. So, Box Office Mojo estimates the film sold more than 70 million tickets in the U.S. in its initial theatrical run, which goes to your point. I'm sure a lot of people probably watched it several times in the theater. They didn't just go see it once. They went back and saw it several times. So, of course, it it was well-loved by critics and uh, audiences alike. It still remains well-regarded. On Rotten Tomatoes, the film has a 95% Certified Fresh rating. Based on 76 reviews, with an average rating of 9.23 out of 10, uh, the site's critical consensus stating, featuring bravura, I think I it up, featuring great set pieces, sly humor, and white-knuckle action, Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of the most consummately entertaining adventure pictures of all time. The film also has an 85 rating on Metacritic, indicating universal acclaim, so...
1: Pretty cool. Good deal.
0: So, before we leave, we'll talk. We talked about the sequels. One thing I didn't know about the sequels, and I don't know if you probably don't remember, know, you know, that you probably don't know this either, but I did not realize that The Temple of Doom was actually a prequel, that it's actually set before Raiders.
1: No, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. I think in the back of my mind, like some faint memory, I knew that. But when I read that today, I was like, I didn't realize that. So now I, I feel bad because I wish I would have watched them in chronological order now. And go back and watch Temple yeah. of Doom first. And then uh, so now when I watch Temple of Doom, I'll be looking for those little Easter eggs of how that how it happened. But as we said, there were three great sequels. or I'm sorry. There were two great sequels, Last Crusade and Temple of Doom. And then, of course, the one that everybody wishes they could forget, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which mm-hmm. came out in 2008. And, of course, now they're still working on Indiana Jones 5, which is set to release in 2021. There also was a TV spinoff called The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Did you remember re- watching that?
1: I do remember that.
0: Yeah. I remember it being on, but I don't think I ever really watched it. Or if I did, I didn't watch enough of it that it made a big impression on me. Yeah, I so. was too
1: busy going. At that point, I was too busy with other things, you know, going yeah. off. I was older, so you weren't home to stay and watch a a show like that to be committed to it. But I remember seeing it.
0: Yeah. It didn't last long. It had a very, it had a very short first season. I guess they, it was kind of a mid season replacement and then it had a full second season and then it was canceled, but they did four TV movies from 1994 to 1996. which I thought was pretty interesting. So, all right, well, before we, we finish up um, my good friend, Ron, who's a good friend of Jeff as well. We're, we're, we're all good friends. And I think somewhere when we're somewhere in the process of the bracket, I think Ron, I'm pretty sure it was Ron, if he's listening, he's gonna correct me. But he made a comment that he was not gonna vote for the Lost Ark because based on a Big Bang Theory episode, it was explained that Indiana Jones was not necessary for the plot of the movie, that everything that happened would have happened anyway, whether he was in the movie or not. Do you remember that comment? Did you no, see that? I don't. No, I was too so upset
1: that none of the Star Wars movies made it that I voted for.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I found this today. The Big Bang Theory episode, the 21-second exit excitation. The protagonists are slightly late to see a 21-second version of Raiders of the Lost Art, which, as Leonard suggests, could include the cut sequence in which Jones entered the U-boat and enraged Sheldon, steals the film reels, following by followed by dozens of fans trying to stop him, and comments about the similarity of the situation to the beginning of the film when Jones runs away from the Havodas in the hydroplane. Furthermore, in the episode, The Raiders Minimization, Amy ruins the film for Sheldon by pointing out that Indiana Jones is mostly irrelevant to the plot. In his absence, the Nazis would still have found the Ark with the exact same outcome. Indiana's only contribution is to prevent a second Nazi expedition from retrieving it. So, Ron, your Big Bang Theory made it to the podcast. <laughs> nice. Now, I thought I was done. I said I didn't want to forget this. But one of the things I noticed when I was watching the movie, and we are going to finish at this point. Um, I really noticed that the banter and the relationship between Indiana Jones and Marion were very similar to Han Solo and Princess Leia, especially in back in Empire Strikes Back, which of course, being from the same screenwriter George Lucas, creating the story, I didn't think was that that different. But have you heard the fan theory or the fan theory suggestion that Indiana the Indiana I'm sorry the Indiana Jones movies are the dreams that Han Solo has while he's frozen in kryptonite?
1: No, I have not heard that <laughs> conspiracy theory.
0: I mean, of course, but there's no. I do, no,
1: see, the, I do yeah. see the familiarity between the banter for sure. Now that you yeah. point that out,
0: yeah. I mean, if you think about it, Indiana Jones is almost like Han Solo. I mean, they're very similar in their their manner of how they do things, their cockiness, mm-hmm. their you know uh, sense of adventure. And then Marion and and Leia are both very strong willed. Very opinionated, uh, very outspoken female mm-hmm. lead, you know, lead characters that complement the Indiana Jones Han Solo archetype. So I thought that was interesting when I watched it this time. I didn't this is the first time that I picked up on that. Maybe because I've watched the Star Wars movies a little more recently. Um yeah. I, I caught that 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 correlation. But then it made me think about that theory I read several I do know years ago. It popped up on Facebook one day. It was like, has anybody ever thought about that the Indiana Jones trilogy is just the dreams that Han Solo had while he was frozen in Kryptonite? And so I just thought that was interesting.
1: So that's pretty fascinating.
0: All right, Jeff, also known as Big Tink, I appreciate you being yes, on sir. the first episode of the '80s Flick Flashback. I hope you had a good time.
1: I did. Thank you very much. It was great being here.
0: Thanks again so much for listening to today's episode. If you want to continue the conversation, send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. That's movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also share your thoughts by joining the Movie Views group on Facebook, and you can also follow us on Instagram. There you'll find news and reviews about current and upcoming new movie releases, not just the 80s movies we talk about here. Be sure to be on the lookout every other Friday on Facebook and Instagram as well, where we announce the 80s flick we'll be watching for the next episode. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star rating, leave us a stellar written review, and also hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of our new episodes. And no matter which platform you choose to listen to us on, be sure to check out the show notes to read more fun facts about the movie we just weren't able to fit into this episode. Well, that's all for today. Join us again next time for another 80's flick flashback.